As a vibrant part of campus life, our chapel gathering at Trinity Western creates opportunities for us to hear and be changed by God's story in Jesus through music, teaching, prayer, scripture reading, and storytelling. We're glad you're listening in today. We hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. and welcome to Trinity Chapel. If I don't know you, my name is Elise. I am a local pastor from Surrey, BC. I'm a connections pastor at a church called Westwinds Community Church, and I really am so excited to be here with you today, even if it's just virtual. Of course, I would rather be with you in person, um, but our circumstances uh, right now in the world just don't really allow me to to be in person with you. Um, So however it is that we're able to meet, uh, virtually online like this or in person sometime in the future, I'm just happy to be here with you, and I'm happy to share in the word with you, happy to sh- go through uh, some portions of scripture with you, and, um, and I, I must say that I feel like uh, these scriptures from the book of Job have been really enlightening for me as I've prepared for these chapels, and, and I hope that they'll be really enlightening for you too. I graduated um, from my post-secondary institution, my Bible college, around seven years ago. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit older. <laughs> um, and I was reminiscing on how much has changed uh, between then and now, uh, even minus the whole COVID thing. I was reminiscing on how different things were for me as a student compared to how different things are for you as a student now. And I was actually talking about this uh, with our church intern, and we got into some of the different um, protocols and guidelines that they've put into place at my old school, my alma mater, uh, that because he's attending there now, uh, we, we got into some of the protocols and guidelines that they've put into place for all of the students there. And he was talking to me about it, uh, about the bubbles that you have to have with, you know, your, within your dorm, about how simple things like eating dinner together with people have look totally different than they used to. And it really got me thinking about all of you at Trinity and how for many of you, this probably isn't how you expected your first, second, third, or fourth year of university to look like. This probably isn't how you anticipated beginning or finishing your journey of post-secondary education. And, um, and really, uh, this discomfort, this, this feeling of um, maybe a little bit of disappointment, maybe a little bit of frustration, maybe a little bit of confusion or, or whatever, this fe- these feelings... Um, that you may be experiencing or something that a lot of us everywhere are experiencing because of COVID-19. I mean, if you had told me uh, two years ago that I would be taking temperatures at the door to let people into church, um, I I probably would have laughed in your face. If you had told me that I would be placing a stuffed frog on top of a camera or a phone while I record a sermon just so that I can feel like someone's there, um, I probably, again, would have laughed in your face and then said, well, at least is the stuffed frog cute. (laughs) Um, There's this very real sense that this year has not been what we expected. A lot of changes have come unexpectedly. A lot of things, uh, a lot of plans that we were looking forward to, opportunities that we were anticipating have been canceled. 
And so I think it's fair to say for us as a whole, as a nation, and as, as a world, really, as a population, um, we're going through a time of collective grief. We're going through a time where we're all grieving losses and, and grieving disappointment and grieving hurt and frustration for a, lot, for a number of different reasons, actually. And I'm sure as you've gone through the book of Job this semester, you've seen why this is such a good choice, uh, a good choice of scripture to study for this time, because it gives us a valuable source of perspective. I think it's amazing that God never pretends like we don't go through hard times. God is not, God is not interested in false perceptions of reality. And the Bible never glosses over the reality of suffering and the reality of pain and the reality of hurt and frustration and disappointment. Job is the best example of that. The fact that God is not ignorant of the very real struggles that we as human beings go through. I also think that Job highlights different um, ways that suffering can impact our experience of life. Another reason why it's so valuable. And on our, in our passage today, we're going to see that the Job 17 actually really highlights the very real experience of isolation that comes when we go through a time of suffering. It's very easy when we're going through a difficult circumstance, and maybe you've already experienced this, it's very easy to feel like you're alone in this, to feel lonely, to feel isolated, to feel alienated from God and from the people around you. And what our passage shows us today is not necessarily how to get rid of that feeling, not, not how to erase that feeling completely, um, but instead, uh, it helps us to learn how to navigate that feeling, navigate that experience, and go through it with our faith uh, intact in God. So we're going to be looking at Job chapter 17 today, and we're going to be drawing two key points from it, the keys to walking through and navigating the isolation of suffering. Those two keys are having integrity and integrating our experiences. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Job chapter 17. We're going to start at verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV version, but feel free to follow along in whatever version you have. My spirit is broken. My days are extinct. The graveyard is ready for me. Surely there are mockers about me, and my eye dwells on their provocation. Lay down a pledge for me with yourself. Who is there that will put up security for me? Since you have closed their hearts to understanding, therefore you will not let them triumph. He who informs against his friends to get a share of their property, the eyes of his children will fail. He has made me a byword of the peoples and one before whom men spit. My eye has grown dim from vexation and all my members are like a shadow. The upright are appalled at this. And the innocent stirs himself up against the godless. Yet the righteous holds to his way. And he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. We're going to stop there for a minute um, just to highlight a few, uh, a few key points in, in this part of the chapter. The first thing that we can see, and I'm sure you've seen this throughout the book of Job so far, is that there's a very keen sense of hopelessness that Job is expressing here. A very key sense of hopelessness and despair. And that's no doubt connected to the way that his friends have responded to him thus far. In fact, our passage makes that clear, that Job is disappointed. He's hurt by the way that his friends have responded to his suffering so far. 
I mean, think about it. His friends have, uh, have responded to his suffering by saying, well, you did something wrong. They've accused him of sinning. They've accused him of having bad character, and they've accused him of acting in ways that are not upright, even though he claimed to be upright. And so it's, no, it's, it's not out of our realm of understanding for Job to feel hurt and to feel misunderstood. Of course he would feel hurt. Of course he would feel misunderstood. He feels misunderstood to the point where he calls on God to prove or guarantee his character, even the, using the language of commercial law to emphasize that point. He's calling on God to prove that he is not what they say he is. Now, it's one thing. Uh, when we do something wrong for someone that we love and we know, who knows and loves us, it's one thing for them to bring to us a gentle correction or a private rebuke or, or some sort of um, really gentle, constructive criticism that's, that's done out of a sense of love and wanting what's best for you, right? It's one thing to have that. But it's another thing for someone to look at your circumstances, who doesn't know you, who hasn't talked to you, who hasn't asked you any questions or listened to your experience. It's another thing to have those people look at your situation from the outside and assume the worst of you. That's a completely different thing. To have somebody look at you and say, well, obviously you're the one in the wrong when they really don't know your situation at all. And so, of course, that assumption would hurt. Of course, that assumption, that misunderstanding is, is cause for us to feel isolated, cause for us to feel alone. But what we see in Job's words here, is that no matter how we feel about our circumstances, no matter what people are saying, no matter what, uh, what people assume or think about us, uh, integrity matters. Integrity matters. Um, bad circumstances never justify bad behavior. And it's important for us to know that, that just because someone treats us unfairly, it doesn't make it fair for us to treat them poorly. Bad circumstances never justify bad behavior, not here in Job and not ever in Scripture. And we see that in verse 9 uh, when Job says, yet the righteous holds to his way. I think the NIV translates it, nevertheless. Nevertheless, integrity matters, nevertheless. Regardless of what your circumstances look like, regardless of what other people think. And, and actually, if we look at verse 6, we see that it's not just Job's friends who think this. It's the entire community. Can you imagine the ostracization you would feel having an knowing that an entire community thinks badly of you, not knowing your circumstances? But nevertheless, yet, regardless of your circumstances, integrity matters. I've heard it put this way before, um, and I think this is really good advice for us. What you're going through may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. And I like to picture it like this. It may not be your fault that somebody spilled coffee on your sweater, but at the end of the day, you're the one wearing the sweater, and you're the one who decides whether you keep that sweater on or whether you change. It may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. We can't control what people think. We can't control the circumstances that we find ourselves in. We can't control any of that. But we can control our response. And our response is to be one of personal integrity. We need to make it up, choose in our minds and in our actions and in our daily lifestyle to walk with wisdom, righteousness, and faithfulness every day. That's the only response. 
And because there's so much um, that is not in our control, because there's so much that we, we can't control, again, it's really easy for us to feel isolated. But in isolation, it's actually crucial for us to remember that we don't have to be as alone as we feel or think we are. We don't have to be as alone as we feel or think we are because the confusions and the doubts, the frustrations and the anxieties that we're feeling are actually something that we can all have in common. And let's read from the passage, and I'll explain that a little bit more. So we're going to read from verses 10 to 16. But you, come on again, all of you, and I shall not find a wise man among you. My days are past, my plans are broken off, the desires of my heart. They make night into day, the light, they say, is near to the darkness. If I hope for Sheol as my house, if I make my bed in the darkness, if I say to the pit, you are my father, and to the worm, my mother or my sister, where then is my hope? Who will see my hope? Will it go down to the bars of Sheol? Shall we descend together into the dust? Now, I've been a pastor not for a very long time. I've been a pastor for about seven years now. But I have walked through some very difficult circumstances with different people. I've walked through uh, stuff like severe car accidents, um, dealing with the ramifications of of sexual assault, um, dealing with divorce and abandonment, um, dealt with a lot of different situations that I never imagined myself dealing with and that these people never imagined finding themselves in, quite frankly. And it's funny, well, not funny, uh, but what you find as a pastor, and maybe as anyone who's talked to someone who's, going, who's gone through difficult circumstances, is that even though the situations are all, uh, all different, they're all, um, they're all quite uh, varied, the thoughts and the feelings, the emotions that suffering results in, those are all things that um, end up being quite common, actually. In fact, um, even the way I like to put it is, even though the details differ, the sentiments are similar. What they say, what, how, they, how they process those feelings, um, all kind of sounds, uh, at, at the root, very similar and, and very much the same. And in fact, it sounds a lot like what Job is processing and what Job is saying here, what he's expressing here. And I think it reminds us of the importance of not living in denial of what we're going through, not living in denial or ignorance of what we're going through, not putting a happy face on our, on our situation, but acknowledging the importance of acknowledging the reality Acknowledging the reality of our experience so that we can integrate those experiences into our faith and into our character. In other words, allowing them to shape us as opposed to being something that we hold at arm's length. And when we allow those experiences, allow those emotions, allow those very real feelings and thoughts to shape us, actually what we find is that it allows us to be integrated into community. And what I mean by that is real relationship doesn't, doesn't happen unless you acknowledge each other's realities. Doesn't, it doesn't happen unless you are able to be real with each other, right? Like, we know this. And there's this very real danger of us becoming so absorbed in our suffering, our woe, this woe is me attitude, that we end up being like a horse with blinders on, where, where we can only see what's immediately in front of us, and, and we become blind to everything else that's around us. Everyone else, 
all their experiences, all their feelings, all the, all the ways that they've been shaped by their experiences. We're, we're blind and we can only focus on what the immediate crisis is in front of us. So remembering that there is this common ground in suffering, this uh, very real, uh, that the root of, of our feelings and our emotions, the base of that, the baseline of that, is something that we can have in common with others, actually draws us into community because it helps us understand that we can be understood by others. It helps us understand that we can understand and empathize with others to the point where we are able uh, to enter into their suffering like Christ entered into our suffering. This is very important for us. It's important. It's crucial for our relationships. It's crucial for our integration as individuals and as a community, for our ongoing health and our ongoing development. Living in denial doesn't allow us to do this. So we need to acknowledge reality so that we can be integrated as individuals and as a community. And when we have that, when we, when we are integrated as individuals and as a community, then actually what we find is that even though we may still experience loneliness at times because of suffering, we remember that we're not so alone as we feel. We remember that we're not as alone as we think we are. When I was a child, and maybe some of you can relate to this, my parents did what every good parent, what all good parents do. Um, they put me in a lot of extracurricular activities. Um, and then, you know, because I'm Chinese, there were all these different kinds. They just threw me into a bunch of different, uh, different extracurricular activities to see which one stuck. And one of those things was soccer. Now, I'm, if you know me, um, or if you even just get to know me for like an hour. You'll know that I'm actually not very athletic. I'm not coordinated. I'm very clumsy. Uh, in fact, uh, the fact that I haven't tripped over my feet on this stage is actually pretty, pretty amazing to me so far. Um, seriously, I'm that clumsy. Uh, and uh, I think uh, I was, what I like to think though is that I make up for my lack of skill with enthusiasm. So I try really, really hard in order to be a good player and a good teammate. And it kind of, I, I think, especially when you're a child, it kind of makes up for that lack of skill. So when I, uh, when I was playing soccer one game, I remember I fell down and I got up and my leg was starting to hurt. But I thought, I brushed it off because I thought it's not a big deal. Nothing's bleeding. Nothing's broken. Like, does it hurt? Yeah, but it's okay. I can, I can, I can play through it. So I kept playing through it until the end of the game. And when I got home, I told my mom, I said, I, I need to lie down. I think my leg, is, my leg is hurting me. I think I just need to rest it. Weeks of rest go by, and the pain has not gone away. So my parents take me, my mom specifically, she takes me to a bunch of different doctors and, and a bunch of different, um, you know, a bunch of different clinics and, and specialists to check out my leg. And for weeks, the doctors and the, and the specialists and, and the people who are looking, you know, examining my leg, um, they're saying, there's nothing there. There's no problem. It might, and honestly, some of them said it, it might be in her head. It might be psychological. My mom doesn't give up. My mom decides to keep going to the point where I'm sure people were getting annoyed. But she presses and she presses and she presses. And she ends up 
finally taking me to this one specialist who orders a specific kind of x-ray. And what they find is that my left leg, because of the force of the fall that I had taken, my left leg is actually pulled out of my hip socket just the slightest bit. Not enough to show up in a regular x-ray, but enough to seriously hurt and enough to, um, enough to warrant surgery, actually. So I ended up getting surgery. Uh, I won't bore you with the gory details. I end up getting surgery on this leg. Um, and what the specialist tells my mom, what I remember her saying is that if this wasn't caught, it could have caused serious problems for me down the road um, in terms of my growth and my development. Now I'm reminiscing on this situation with my mom, um, you know, just a couple weeks ago actually, so several years later. And I'm just talking to her about this. I'm going, remember that time I had surgery? Remember that time we did that? Oh, man. And out of curiosity, I ask her, Mom, why did you keep pressing? Why did you keep going back and going back and asking for them to check it out one more time? Why did you do that? Um, and she kind of goes, oh, you know, I just knew, mom tuition, whatever, right? Like, she just kind of goes like that. Um, but as we keep talking, she starts to share with me a story of when she was a child. When she was around my age, she had eye problems. She was struggling with her eyes really badly. And uh, she had gotten glasses for her eyes to, you know, to try to fix the problem. But it really didn't fix the problem. It got to the point where she was covering one eye every time she needed to do something. Um, she would cover her left or her right, and she would, she would only look out of one eye. Um, and her, her mom, my grandmother, decided to take her to a specialist and get it checked out. And lo and behold, the specialist says to my grandmother that my mom has a problem where her, her eyes are actually different. One's nearsighted, one's farsighted. And in fact, if my mom had used her glasses, it would have led to the development of a lazy eye, and it would have led to the development of all these other complications in her eyes. And what I realized listening to my mom tell that story is that my mom advocated for me when I was struggling, because she knew what it was like to have a mom advocating for her when she was struggling. My mom had seen it, my mom had witnessed it, and my mom had had the impact, the positive impact of someone being her advocate when she was younger. And so when it came time for me, when I needed an advocate, she was able to step up and be an advocate for me. And I think this tells us something about how or why we experience suffering. I think, I think when we navigate suffering, when we navigate the isolation of suffering, um, if we push past those feelings of being isolated, being alone, feeling lonely, and feeling alienated, if we push past those feelings and we live with integrity, we live with wisdom and faithfulness, and we are determined to walk those things out regardless of the circumstances around us. We may not see it in the moment, but later down the road, we will see why those experiences shaped us the way that they did so that we were able to empathize and advocate for others who need, who need the benefit of our experiences. When we integrate, when we walk with integrity and then we integrate those experiences into who we are, it allows us 
to be advocates for other people, to enter into other people's suffering, to be people who are the hands and feet of Jesus to people who are in real need. It empowers us to do this, and we may not see that in the moment. We may not experience, we may not know that while we're walking through it, but that's what faith is about. Faith is about knowing that whatever circumstances you're in right now, no matter how bad they look, knowing that we have a God, a Savior who redeems every negative experience, who redeems every hurt, every, suffer, every moment of suffering, every moment of pain, and uses it for his glory and his benefit. That's what it means to follow Jesus and to trust that God is good even in the midst of suffering. So if you're walking through difficult circumstances today, I hope you know that you may not see it now, but you will see it down the road where God is able to take and redeem your experiences for the benefit of someone else and ultimately to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, for the fact that you are our advocate, you are our redeemer, you are with us even in the midst of pain and suffering. And God, as alone as we feel, we know, Jesus, that we're never alone because you're with us, you're walking with us, you're beside us every single step of the way. And God, I pray that as we look at the circumstances around us, as we wrestle with fear, as we wrestle with disappointment and wrestle uh, with, um, with anxiety, God, I pray that you would help us to see where those experiences, to look forward, to look ahead, um, to where those experiences can be redeemed and how they can be used in the future. God, I pray that you would help us to wrestle now with them well so that we can be an advocate, an advocate for someone down the road and empathize with people who who need to see the love of Jesus in action down the road. We love you and we pray that you would uh, continue, Holy Spirit, to shape us and form us by our experiences and that we would be open to your shaping and your forming process, God. Help us to have open hearts to that process. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to worship with you at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with Chapel and Student Ministries by following us on Instagram at TWUChapel and at TWU Student Min. Much love.